Great. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much uh, for bringing somebody else into uh, your family. I thank you for Elizabeth and Ken. And God, I pray for their marriage, that you would continue to strengthen it and grow it and flourish it. I pray that uh, they find uh, themselves reaching out to folks in their community uh, to reach more people for you. And God, we pray for Smiley as he comes forward. Uh, may he boldly proclaim the truth uh, that he preaches the message that you have put on his heart and that everybody in this room opens themselves up to the living word. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Hopefully when you came in, you got an envelope. If, if you didn't, maybe you could raise your hand because there's a treasure in here. Don't open it yet. But a little later, we're going to open it up and find out there is an unbelievable treasure in this envelope. What's in a name? <clears throat> Many years ago, Karen and I and our family, we moved back to St. Augustine to plant Good News Church and was thinking about a name. What do we name the church? And at that time, uh, it seems like if you turned on the news, it was filled with lots of bad news. Is that still true? Doesn't that always seem to be true? So I thought, what if, what if the name of the church was Good News? Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't it be good in a world filled with bad news that every week there would be a place that people could gather together and hear good news? Wouldn't that be good? And then I thought, what if there was a church named Good News and the pastor's name was Smiley, huh? Man, people would have to come, right? And isn't that why we come? Because all week long, many of us spend way too much time watching the news. And we get so depressed by what's happening. And so we gather together because we long to hear good news. And, and what I want to happen is, what I'm praying for is that as we gather today, we hear some really, really, really good news. And you know what it is? It's that Jesus is the great I am. We're going to unpack today that Jesus is the great I am, and I'm praying that you're so excited you're here, that you're so encouraged by what you hear, that you simply have to go out where others are overwhelmed with bad news and share with them what you heard today. Wow, you've got to meet Jesus. You've got to meet him. He's the great I am. If you have your Bible, turn with me to <clears throat> Exodus chapter 3. If you're new... <clears throat> This year, we're walking through the second book in the Bible, and it's called Exodus. It's the story of God bringing his people, the, the Hebrews or Israel, out of Egypt. And, um, and every week, like uh, I'm going to say previously on Exodus, because I think I have to pick you up from last week to, to get you ready to go, okay? So last week, as we finished this story of God delivering Israel out of Egypt, we read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, Therefore come now, God said, and I will send you, he's raised up a deliverer named Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. The Bible is one story, and God is our great deliverer, but he works through people. He sends people out to set his people free. And he said, Moses, I want you to go and set my people free. But Moses said to him, Who am I? His first objection, and it's the first, but it won't be the last. He says, what? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Uh, you ever been like that? I can't, I can't, who am I? 
And he, and God said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Here's the sign. I'm going to work through you. Bring Israel out and you'll worship me here. But I want you to know, Moses' objection was, who am I? And God's promise was what I will be with you. Do you realize it was impossible for Moses to lead the people out of Egypt? Did you know that? But with God, what he, he could. Everything Jesus asked us to do, everything Jesus asked us to do is impossible for us to do. Isn't it? And isn't that why we run to Jesus to get what he calls us to do? I mean, what do I mean? Jesus calls us to love our enemies, right? How good are you at that? Are you good at loving your enemies? I mean, can we talk? I struggle to love the people I love. Do you? Much less my enemy. So if Jesus wants me to love my enemy, I have to what? I have to run to him and say, supply what you command, right? Jesus calls us to forgive each other twice, right? Is that what he called us to forgive each other, what, 70? Are you good at forgiving? Do you find forgiveness just flows out of you? Not me. Man, if, if I'm going to forgive, Jesus is going to have to supply what he commands, so I run to Jesus to get what I need, right? Jesus calls us to make disciples. Are you good at making disciples, are you? Can you do that? You say, no, I can't. So you, what? we have to run to Jesus, right, to get what he calls us to do. And so now we come to the second objection. Jesus overcomes the first. He says, I'll be with you, and... Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Okay, God, I'm going to go. I'm going to tell your people I'm here to deliver you. But they're going to say, What's your name? And I don't even know your name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. <laughs> I love that uh, uh, listen, that's Yahweh. Sometimes you hear Jehovah. It's I am who I am. God said to Moses, here's my name. I am who I am. And he, and he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. If they ask you my name, you just tell them I am sent you. Huh. When I read that, it reminded me of the most important verse in the Bible. And what's the most important verse in the Bible? What is it? It's the first one, right? And remember what the first verse says, in the beginning, what? Aren't you glad? It's not what, in the beginning, nothing, right? It's not in the beginning, matter, or in the beginning, an explosion. In the beginning, God. And you know who God is? He's the I am. In the beginning was the self-existent God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and you would say, well, Smiley, if God created everything, who created God? God just is, right? Isn't that his name? What's his name? I am. He is the self-existent one. You ever look around our, our country and you see things that are happening and you say, listen, wh wh what is going on? Look at Psalm. Look at Psalm 11. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Listen, the foundation for morality, the foundation for the family, the foundation for society is God. 
is a creator. It's the great I am. And when the foundation is removed, what happens? What happens? Everything begins to collapse. And that is why this is the greatest time in American history to be a Christian. Because we're here in a nation that's forgotten God to remind people there is a God. There is a creator who made all things. And his name is what? I am. And uh, what we're going to learn today is that Jesus is the great I am. I am so glad there is a God, aren't you? I'm so glad we're not alone in a purposeless universe. There's a creator. I'm thankful there's a foundation we can lay in our lives and in our church and in our society to build marriages, families, and life upon. And his name is I Am. So God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord. Uh, the Lord. See how Lord's in capital letters? If your Bible is like my Bible, the word there was I am. The word there was Yahweh. But Jewish people, you know the third commandment, don't you? Anybody know the third commandment? It's you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Jewish people were so afraid of taking God's name in vain that whenever they got to Yahweh or whenever they got to I am, they didn't want to use it in vain, so they would say Lord instead. So if your Bible is like mine, every time you see Lord in capital letters, it's talking about, Yahweh is talking about the great I am. He, he says, uh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So God is not only the self-existent God, he is the covenant-keeping God, right? And you know what a covenant is. A covenant is a binding promise, a binding promise. And our God is not only the great I am, he is faithful to keep his promises. I'm the God of Abraham. Remember God established his covenant with Abraham and he said, listen, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. And then he said, one of your descendants will be the Savior who will bring salvation to all the nations. God keeps his promises. Remember, remember last year when we walked through Genesis, we were in Genesis 15, talk about God's promises. Uh, in Genesis 15, uh, verse 13, we read, look at this. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. So before it happened, God told Abraham that your descendants will be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out. Now notice what it says, come out with many possessions. Hold on to that because we'll see that again in, in a few minutes. But, but God said, I'm going to bring my people out of Egypt after 400 years. And, and when they come out, they won't come out empty-handed. So listen, I'm the God of Abraham. I promised Abraham to bless him and make him a blessing. And, and I, I promised him that after 400 years, I would bring them out. And I'm the God who promised to, to Isaac that I will bless you and make you a blessing. And I'm the God who promised that to your father, Jacob. And... Uh, Remember last year we were learning about Jacob was a little afraid to go down to Egypt. And, and, and remember what God promised Jacob in, in Genesis 46? He said, I am the God, the God of your father, the covenant-keeping God. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. 
He says, don't be afraid. While you're there, I'm going to make you a great nation. And didn't he in 400 years, how many people went in? 70. How many people came out? Over 2 million people. During that time, God kept his promise. And by the way, how did 70 people become 2 million people? How did it happen? Everyone was involved, what? In being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth. What would happen in our midst if we were all involved? If each of us was involved in making disciples, wouldn't we too multiply and fill our land with those who know Jesus but notice he says, I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. So right now, as God is raising up Moses, God is keeping the covenant that he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob by raising up a deliverer to lead them out of Egypt. Uh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So Moses was first to go and gather the elders of the people so that with the elders of the people, he would go and make this request to Pharaoh. Um, so I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Any other sites in there? <laughs> to a land flowing with milk and honey. Notice, the Bible is one story, isn't it? And what does God say? I'm going to bring you out of Egypt and through the desert, and into a promised land. <laughs> and isn't that God's promise to us? Isn't it that he calls us out of our sin and wasting our lives? Listen, he calls us to, to follow him through this life, but he promises us, what, that the best is yet to come, that one day we will be in a land flowing with milk and honey? They will pay heed to you, the elders, to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. What's with the three days journey? I thought that God was going to deliver them. So God starts out with a reasonable request to Pharaoh, let my people worship me. Three days journey, a, a day from Egypt to, to Mount Horeb, a day to worship and a day back. And uh, when, when Pharaoh refuses a reasonable request, he, he'll get a much larger request that God's going to set his people free. Uh, <clears throat> But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. Pharaoh's not going to let you go, and I'm going to demonstrate my great power through setting my people free. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what God had promised Abraham, that when they came out, they wouldn't come out empty-handed? But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, and the woman who lives in the house, articles of silver and articles of gold, 
uh, and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and your daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. Uh, listen, you just ask, and you'll have such favor with the people, they will give you all these articles. So listen, when God brings Israel out of Egypt, they're not empty-handed. Uh, God is the great I Am. He is the covenant-keeping God, the God who just is. And know what we celebrate at Christmas? Know what we celebrate? What? That, that I am became one of us, right? Isn't that what we celebrate? Isn't that the incarnation, that the great I am became one of us? That's what we're learning today, right? That Jesus is the great I am. And I want you to know that over and over again, Jesus said that he was the great I am. Matter of fact, <clears throat> in the Gospel of John, we're going to explore the seven great I am's of Jesus. Seven times Jesus said, I am. Oh, this is, so, this is so good. This is worth the price of admission right here, okay? In John 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I, what I am. Every Jewish person who heard him knew he's claiming to be God. He said, what I am, what? The bread of life. We today think of bread as something you have with your meal or something that's fattening. But for them, bread was life. Bread represented life. So notice who Jesus claims to be. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. What does he call us to do? What does he call us to do? To believe, he calls us to he calls us to come to him, right? He calls us to believe in him, doesn't he? And what does he promise us? That, listen, our hunger will be satisfied and our thirst will be satisfied. You want to know the difference between the true gospel and the false gospel? Here it is. The false gospel says Jesus will help you get your bread. Jesus will help you get the treasure you're looking for in life. That if you believe in Jesus and you follow him, he'll help you get whatever treasure that is you want. But the true gospel is Jesus is the treasure. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one you're looking for. Come to me. Come to me and you'll have, be satisfied in heart. And your, your hunger will be satisfied and your, your thirst will be satisfied. What are you doing with your hunger? What are you doing with your thirst? Oh, I plead with you, bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. He said, but I am the bread of life. I'll satisfy your hunger. I'll quench your thirst. Okay, a couple of chapters later, a couple of chapters later in John 8, uh, verse 12, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am. There it is, the second great I am. I am, I am the... What? The light of the world. So, uh, listen, listen to this. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So who does Jesus claim to be? Who? You guys there, who does he say he is? The light of the world. What does he call us to do? What? To follow him. What does he promise us if we will? that we won't walk in the darkness, right? But we'll have the light of life. Do you see people around you morally confused? Do you see people bumping into things in the night? Do you? 
What does Jesus say? I'm the light of the world. And by the way, how was Israel led for 40 years in the desert? Wasn't it by a pillar of fire? Didn't God lead them? Doesn't Jesus say to us what? Follow me. We're surrounded by people who don't know who they are, where they came from, where they're going, right from wrong. And Jesus says, follow me. And you know who you are and where you came from. I made you. And where you're going to a land flowing with milk and honey. You'll know right from wrong. Oh, Jesus is the light of the world. Follow him. A couple of chapters later, John chapter 10. Two I am's in three verses here. He starts out and he says, I am the, the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So again, who does Jesus claim to be? He's the what? Come on, we should get used to this. There's seven of them. Who does he claim to be? And what does he call us to do? And to enter, what does he promise us? If we'll just enter through the door, what will be saved? You ever wondered how to be saved? Jesus says, I'm the door. Enter. You'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. Listen, Jesus isn't a thief. He's the good shepherd. Now he says, what well, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Listen, the story of the Bible is about a seeking and saving Savior. It's about a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Listen, religion is about man saving himself. The gospel says no, that we have a good shepherd who lays down his life for a sheep so that we might enter through the door of Jesus and be saved. Have you? Oh, the word gospel means good news, but it, but it has bad news too. And the bad news of the gospel is we have a flaw. We have a problem called sin. We have sinned. We are sinners. Something that we don't understand is sin is very personal. We sin against God. I've been reading through the Old Testament over and over again. God says, you've sinned against me. You've sinned against me. I have asked so many people, why should God let you into heaven? And they say, I've never hurt anyone. <gasps> to which I want to say, could I talk to your mother? Could I talk to your spouse? Are you kidding me? But you know what never enters their mind? We sin against God. Have you ever thought how many times you've broken God's heart and said no to God? We have sinned against God over and over again, and we're in big trouble. God says what we deserve for sinning against him is hell. And once you understand the bad news, and then you hear the good news, there is a good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's such good news. You see, Jesus is, is God the Son who, who put on flesh and came to earth, who lived a perfect life for us, and then he went to the cross. Notice the word there. It says that Jesus, what he'd laid down his life for us. Do you know he could have overcome the soldiers? He could have overcome the cross. But he came to save us, and it was his love for you and me that kept him on the cross. You see, he took our sins upon himself. He died in our place. He laid down his life to save us. 
And he stayed on the cross until he had paid the penalty for our sins in full. And he said, it's finished. It's paid for in full. He really did die. And on the third day, he rose, proving he had conquered sin and death. And he offers us salvation, doesn't he? And what does he require of us? Look at verse 9. Jesus says, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. There's only one way to be saved. And that's through Jesus, and we'll go in and find pasture. Well, smiley, how do we enter through the door? Listen, entering through the door is it's really as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit. The door. There was a day I entered through the door, and if you haven't, won't you? And it started when I admitted, Jesus, I've sinned against you in many ways, and I'm sorry. And if you've never done that, won't you do that? And then I said, I believe. Jesus, I believe you're the door, that, that you're the good shepherd who laid down your life for me, won't you? And then I committed, that is, I'm saying, Jesus, from now on, I'm not going to trust in what I can do, but I'm trusting what you did for me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, save me. And he did, won't you? And, and to enter through the door, I said, Jesus, I'm tired of rebelling against God. I surrender. You lead and I follow. Oh, if you've never entered through the door, won't you? Won't you enter through? And if you have, when was the last time you said thank you? Thank you. Thank you for laying down your life for me so that I could enter in through the door and have life, life that's abundant and eternal. Thank you. Oh, Jesus is the great I am. The next chapter, the next chapter, John 11 uh, Jesus said to her, he said to Martha, because her brother Lazarus was dead, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So again, who does Jesus claim to be? He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. No, that means I raise people from the dead and give people life. What does he call us to do? To believe. And what does he promise us if we will? We're going to live forever. Do, do you see anybody today filled with fear over the COVID-19? See anybody? They're scared to death. They're going to die. Do you hear what Jesus says? I'm the cure for death. I'm the cure for death. When was the last time you thanked Jesus? Jesus, thank you that you're the cure for death. I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear because I'm going to live forever. And you might, you might say, well, smile. how do you know that? You know how I know that? Because one day, a dead man got up, got up and walked out of the tomb and said, we could too. Listen, Jesus went first. In a time filled with fear, when was the last time you said, Jesus, I'm so thankful. You're the cure for death. You're the cure for death. I'm going to live with you forever. And by the way, do you think there might be someone who'd like to hear there's a cure for death? Do you? Oh, a few chapters later, John 14. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. Now Jesus claims three things, right? He claims he's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. I love that. He makes life so simple. Want to know how to have life with God? What? Jesus is the way. Do you want to know truth? Do you want to know right and wrong? Do you know what, want to know what a marriage is to be? Do you want to know what's right and wrong? Jesus is the... He's the truth. Come to Jesus. Do you want to know what life's all about? What Jesus is the... Life. Oh, man. When was the last time you said, Jesus, I am so thankful you're the way to God. Thank you. I'm so thankful we have truth in a world of moral confusion. You're the truth. Lord, I'm so thankful you're the life. Knowing you, making much of you, that is life. One last one, John 15. Uh, John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Again, who does Jesus claim to be? He says, I'm the vine. And what does he call us to do? To abide. And you know what it means to abide? It means to be with a friend who loves you and stay there. And what does he promise us would happen in us and through us if we would abide in him? What does he promise? We bear much fruit. Listen, Jesus is our model for life and ministry. And when we hang around with Jesus, we're going to become more like him. That means our lives are going to overflow with what? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, right? But listen, he's our model not only for life and ministry, so if we hang around Jesus, know what else? We're going to get involved in making disciples because that's what he did. And so many of us, so many of us, won't we all say, Lord, this year I just want to win one person to you. Lord, I just want to make one disciple. You know how we do that? How we win one and make one? We just, we just stay with our friend, right? The one who loves us, right? That's what we do. Wow, seven great I am's. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life and, and I'm the light of the world and, and I'm the door and the good shepherd and the resurrection and the life and the way and the truth and the life and the vine. But I almost feel like a Ronco commercial. You, you ever seen one of the commercials like you buy these pots and pans and what? That's not all. There's more. So in addition to seven great I am's, I want to give you two more I am's, Okay. In John chapter 8, the disciples, or Jesus is talking with the religious leaders, and, um, and he was telling them, you make much of Abraham. Abraham believed in me. Why don't you? So we pick up the conversation in John 8, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Now, all these movies and pictures of Jesus, they always picture him as what? Like this beautiful guy, right? But how old is Jesus in this story? 30-ish. And they say, man, you're not 50. Man, life was hard on him. Don't you, don't you think that uh, we all want to look younger than we are? But he looked what? Older, didn't he? Man, you're not even 50, right? Um, you're not yet 50. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, what? 
I am. Wow. You know what Jesus is saying? When, when God promised Abraham, in you, in one of your descendants, the nations shall be blessed, saved, Abraham looked ahead and saw Jesus and rejoiced. And, and remember when Abraham was offering, about to offer up Isaac on the, on the mountain and God, God told him he would provide the lamb? Abraham looked ahead to this day and he rejoiced. So he said, before Abraham was born, I am, I am the I am. Now notice what happened. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What did they try to do? They tried to what? Are you guys awake? They tried to what? Why do they try to kill him? Why? Because he said he was God. Don't we hear today people say, oh, he never claimed to be God? Every time he said, I am, he was. So many people today say, well, you know, I, I, he's not my savior. He, he's just a good moral teacher, right? He's not God. He's just a good moral teacher. To which I would love to know, well, which one of his good moral teachings do you like? Do you like when he said adultery is not just the deed, it's even the thought? Do you like it when he said marriage is the permanent union of a man? Do you like that? Do you like his teaching when he calls us to love our enemy? Which of his good moral teachings do you like? Oh. Listen, Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord. When he becomes our Savior and Lord, then he be can become our model for life and ministry. One last I am. Uh, it's the night when Jesus was betrayed and Jesus has been praying, preparing for the cross. And in John chapter 18, so Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, whom do you seek? Man, if we knew what was coming, a lot of us wouldn't proceed, right? He knew what was about to happen. But he says, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. I am. See how he there is in italics? You know what that means? It wasn't there. Jesus asked them, whom do you seek? And he said what? I am. It's just put there so that we understand it a little better, but it wasn't there. All he said was, I am. Again, claiming to be God. Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with him. Have you ever been betrayed by someone close? Jesus understands he was betrayed with a kiss by a friend, right? Uh, Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Do you see that? Who's there? The religious leaders, the, the soldiers, they're all there. But when Jesus steps forward and says, I am, they fall down before him. They drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore, he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. I am he, so uh, if you seek me, let these go away. You know what happens if you keep reading? Three times Jesus said what I am, he. And if you keep reading, you know what you'll find a girl said to Peter, you're one of his disciples, right? You know what Peter said three times? I am not. Oh, dear people, Jesus is the great I am. He, he's the great I am. And so here's what I want you to do this week. This week, I want you to live a wonder-filled life. 
I want you to live a wonder-filled life. And you say, well, Swami, how can anyone live a wonder-filled life in the times in which we live? So I want you to understand you can live a wonder-filled life in a broken world. You can do it. Take the Hebrews. They experienced wonder and difficulties at the same time, didn't they? They're in Egypt. They're slaves. They see all these miracles while they're being appraised, uh, while they're being enslaved. So they were, they were in difficulties and wonder at the same time. The parting of the Red Sea. Wasn't that a wonder? Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? But who was behind them? Who? Pharaoh and his armies. For 40 years they were fed from heaven. Wouldn't that be a wonder? But what was happening at the same time? They were wandering through the desert. So we can live a wonder-filled life in a crazy world. So take out your little envelope here because I have a treasure in here for you. I have the seven great I am's for you. And, um, and then I have, uh, wait, and there's still two more, okay? And here's what I want you to do. I want you this week to come and see Jesus. I want you to come and spend time with the one who is wonderful. And then when you see him, then I want you to go and, and share him with others. Let me illustrate. When our son Nathan and his wife were in Toronto, I'm not much of a tourist, but we go to Toronto, you know what they said? You've got to come and see. What's one of the wonders of the world? Niagara Falls. You've got to come. You've got to see it. I grew up tormenting tourists. I don't like being a tourist. But they insisted, you've got to come and see, right? And oh, I went, and it did not disappoint. It was more wonderful than I could have imagined. And I went, and I saw this wonder. And you know what I did then? I wanted to go and tell others what? You've got to come and see. It's amazing. And so this week, I plead with you, you could take one I am a day, and when you start your day with Jesus, and if you want to live a wonderful life, you need to spend time with the one who's wonderful, don't you? Imagine. Imagine maybe on Monday, you read John 6, 35. Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And you were filled with the wonder of Jesus. And after you were filled, you took this with you. Or better yet, you took your Bible with you. And you went to a friend and said, Could I share with you the wonder I beheld this day? Do you think they're going to say, No. Invite them to come and see. Will you read this verse? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Who does Jesus claim to be? What does he ask us to do? What does he promise us? How's your soul? Come and eat. What if later in the week you, you, read, you, you, you got up and you spent time with Jesus and you read, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What if you read that? And, and then what if you went out and you looked for someone who was terrified by what's going on and you said, could I share with you the wonder I beheld this morning? 
Invite them to come and read. I am the resurrection and life. Who does Jesus claim to be? What does he promise to those who believe? Won't you believe? Oh. What if one day you read John 14, 6, uh, and, and, and you read, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And, and what if you took this with you through the day, and when you were with someone, and they said, I just wish someone would tell me the truth. You ever hear that today? I just want to know the truth about the virus. I just want to know the truth. about. Just tell me the truth. Can I share with you the wonder of today? Have them read. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Oh, will you come and see Jesus? Will you, will you behold him and then go and share him? I, I like to go before you. And so this week when people have been asking me, how are you? Uh, I've been saying, wonderful. And uh, wonderful. And they'll say, well, how can you be wonderful in the times in which we live? And if that's you, I've got a better question for you. How can you follow Jesus and not be filled with wonder? How can you know the bread of life? How can you walk with the light of the world? How can you know? How can you know the door and the good shepherd and the way and the truth and the life and the resurrection and the life? And how can you know the vine without being filled with wonder? So this week, our assignment, let's live a wonder-filled life with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, you are wonderful. You are the one our hearts long for. You are the good shepherd who laid down your life for the sheep. You are the door we must enter to be saved. And, and listen, if you've never been saved and, and you'd like to, won't you enter through the door today as Jesus invites us? Won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry? And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for our sins and rose? And won't you commit, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've entered through the door for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, I pray for those of us who've entered through the door that you would send your Holy Spirit to fall fresh on us. And this week, as, as we get up and spend time with you, that each day we would get up and, and behold one of the wonders of the seven great I Ams. And as we're filled with wonder, that we would go out this week and we would share our wonder-filled Jesus with others. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.